Continuing on with verse 22. The faith which you have, that word, the faith, he's talking about the confidence and assurance which you have as your own conviction before God. You have that liberty to do this. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. Well, see, again, this can be misconstrued. I used to talk to the false Christians and misguided ones. They'd say, well, I'm committing fornication because we don't want to get married yet. We can't afford a house, afford this, so I have the liberty to do that because all things are lawful for me. Mm-hmm. And he says that my conscience is clear. I've had people say that. I said, no, what has happened is your conscience is seared. You have no feeling, and you're in a dangerous position because the Holy Spirit cannot convict you of sin if your conscience is hardened. See, that's a part of you he's given. Your conscience is a part of your human spirit. And so you've talked yourself into something you want to do, and so you won't feel guilty. You're misquoting scriptures. But your end is going to be the lake of fire. And usually I hear the phone go click. They run back to their ultra-Calvinistic minister who tells them they're okay and they don't have to worry about it. All things are not lawful as far as sin. The all things that are lawful, the foods and eats and ceremonies, because they're not of the kingdom of God. They were under Jewish covenant that the Jew had to observe. So he said, happy is he, his heart does not condemn him in what he approves. So he says he's happy at this. And like I say, many people, they'll still quote, well, all things are lawful for me, and they're practicing sin. I said, well, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've been given over to a lying spirit. The phone will go click. They don't want to hear it. And they may not hear that again until they stand before God at the judgment. And he'll say, well, you were told, but you didn't want to listen. So you shut your ears to the truth. Okay, And that's why Jesus said to the seven churches, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. Hear it properly. Don't shut your ears to something you don't want to hear. That's why we have so much false teaching. I've had people tell me, I only like positive prophecies. I I said, well, you're on your way to hell. That shakes them up. I said, because you don't want to be proved, corrected. And the Bible says, if you despise correction, you love hell. 30-40% of the epistles are to warn, correct, reprove, reprove, and therefore the Christian to keep him in line and him tell him what he's not to do that he can do if his will wants to do it, okay? So that's what we see. So the faith and liberty you have is by a clear, enlightened conscience before God. And if your conscience does not condemn you, your action or the thing you allow, then you know God approves it, okay? And if it's really a sin said, the Spirit will disturb you. He won't let you get away with it. God has no bastards. So when I hear people claim to be Christians and they live in gross sin and everything goes well with them, I tell them, God is not bothering you no more. You've turned yourself over to sin. You're in a dangerous position. He's trying to correct you, enlighten you, and you just keep shutting it out. But he'll meet you on judgment day. See, even Job had a problem. And the psalmist, he said, the wicked's way is smooth. Well, God doesn't always punish the wicked here. 
but they're going to get a lot more punishment at judgment seat, and they're storing up evil, and God's going to answer for every idle word they ever spoke. So they're not getting away with nothing. So whatever they get away in this life, they'll far greater bit punished later. So he see to justice. But when the Christian's under trial and tribulation and problems, he has the tendency sometimes, and the devil points him to how well the sinner lives, and he's doing good, and he's prospering, and, and I'm not, not considering. And the psalmist said, I envied them until I went to the house of the Lord and saw their end. Then he didn't envy them anymore. They're in the lake of fire. They're in hell, prepared for the lake of fire eventually, okay? Now, the weak one, again, must not judge the one who is free and has liberty. They try to do that, too, and they're to be reproved for that. They were told, you mind your own business, okay? So you eat your vegetables, and you don't drink your wine, and you leave the person that does it alone. Now, if he gets drunk, that's another thing. You can reprove him for that, but not for drinking that doesn't lead to abuse. Okay, now here's the key to the whole thing. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Oh, so he doesn't really have faith or assurance in what he's doing because he's eating not from faith. And remember this part here. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, he's talking again about not the obvious sins, but things that people question. I can't eat meat, or you shouldn't eat meat. They think you have to be a vegetarian, and they quote all these reasons of health and all, and that might be true. But the Bible says all things are sanctified by prayer. So it means it won't harm you within reason. Now, if you know a certain food's bothering you, you're not going to eat it by faith. You're going to find out there ain't no true faith in it. You're going to reap the consequences. That's why a lot of Christians are sick. They abuse their bodies. They abuse things, and they think, oh, the Lord will take care of it. No, he won't. He'll let you reap from it. He'll let the body, and he won't interfere. So if you want to smoke all day long, knowing it causes cancer, don't be asking God to deliver you when you get it. Because the scripture says, why should a man complain when he's punished for his sins or his ignorance? And many, many of my people suffer for lack of knowledge. They perish because of it. So there's principles that he goes by too. So people who want to abuse things don't say, I have liberty from God. You be very careful what you put on the Lord, okay? But don't eat meat and drink because others do. So the weak Christian had the tendency to say, well, he can do it. So I guess I'm a, he's a mature Christian, so I can do it. And then he eats it and his conscience still bothers him. See, because it's not been enlightened as the Lord wants it to be enlightened. As you grow in the Lord, your conscience is enlightened as your spirit and knowledge of the Lord and things is. Okay. Because it's not of faith, what is it of? It's of presumption, doing it anyway, guessing or assuming. And I've heard people say, well, I'll just go ahead. No, -uh, you don't have no assurance. You, wouldn't, you shouldn't do it. Well, you do it. Well, that's because I understand the truth. But you don't yet. Now, you study and pray, and eventually the Spirit will enlighten you, and you'll see it. 
but I'm not going to be a stumbling block for you. So until you have the knowledge and enlightenment, you don't do it. And I'm sorry, I can do it privately and not your presence. I won't do it in your presence if it offends you, but you can't stop me from doing it in my private home or among mature Christians. You can't do that. So he was saying the weaker brother and the mature would not to judge each other in these matters. That was none of their business, okay? So whatever is not of faith, and that means the conscience has been enlightened by God, if it hasn't, it's sin, okay? Now, the plain do-nots and commands and evil things are always sin, okay? So again, we come back to all things are lawful, but lying and stealing and fornication and murder, they're not lawful, and you can't do those. You'll end up in hell if you practice that lifestyle. There is no assurance to do this. And so he was telling a weaker Christian, don't presume just because others can. Well, I've told people that over my 40, 50 years in the Lord, I've gotten rid of three televisions because finally I'd get addicted. I'd be watching it too much and finally the Lord said, that's enough. So it was sin for me to have one at that time because it was a stumbling block. It was a besetting sin. And after a while, I was given permission again. It's if you can control it, you can have it. If you can't, it's gone. You know, very plain and simple. And that's on various matters. I've had weaker Christians. They wouldn't dare go to a movie. They think it's sinful to go to any movie. But they'll stay home and watch television all night. What's the difference? You can see just as much on television as you can on the movies nowadays. You can see everything you want to see. All kinds of perversions and sin. and See, they're splitting hairs and they're deceived. So if they think it's wrong, they, they'll be looking at their television first if they can't handle it, okay? All things are lawful, but not expedient. Like we said, that's the earthly things, eating, drinking, Sabbath keeping, watching television, going here, going there. Those are neutral things. They can be made good or made evil. Depends on how you use them. Now, this was one of, let's go to this, when Jesus was tempted of the devil during the 40 days, and he had the greatest temptations during that time, and one of them, the devil tried to get him to be presumptuous. That was a great sin. What did he say to him? Well, look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, 5 through 7. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And then he quotes scripture to Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? He knew some scripture. He just didn't know how to write and handle them. He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Isn't that wonderful? There's a wonderful scripture. They were misapplied. See, he's like the false teacher. He is the false teacher. He's the master of it. He was telling Jesus. See, because Jesus was quoting, answering him back with Scripture. So he figured he could have to fight him with Scripture, okay? But he misquoted the Scripture. And we see what he says to him. 
It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall not presume on him. You shall not put him to test. Now see, if the Lord said to him right then, go ahead and jump. That's the command and the will of the Lord. His conscience would have been freed. But the Lord didn't tell him to jump. And see, he would be assuming that God would protect him when God was not leading him. So that's presumption. His conscience would not have allowed it. Or he had to sin against his conscience. So that was a great thing with the devil. He tried to get Jesus to be presumptuous and misunderstand the word by using the word. And as the false teachers do, they quote scripture all day long, don't they? And they misquote a lot of scriptures too. Oh, they can teach a lot of good. But I've said before, all it takes is one major fallacy to damn your soul. Remember the, the pot of stew that the prophets made was poison because someone put a poisonous herb in. Well, all the other vegetables were fine. They wouldn't, but that one herb would kill you. So you have to be careful. That's why I don't listen to false teachers. I don't care what they're good on. It's a seduction. If you know he's a heretic and teaching basic false Christianity, don't waste your time with him. You're going to open yourself up to lying spirits. 90% of what they teach sometimes can be good. If they can get their lie in there, that'll damn your soul. The devil don't care. Okay. So the devil quoted good scripture out of context. But Jesus would have presumed if he jumped because the Lord did not tell him to. So the person with a weak Christian conscience should not presume because the Christian says you could do it. If his conscience is not enlightened and he doesn't have assurance, don't do it. So that's what he's talking about. And remember one prophet was killed by a lion because he was tricked by another man who lied to him, who was supposed to be a prophet, and the Lord had told him, in this area that you're delivering my word, don't you eat anything. Well, the lying prophet told him, you can eat. God told me you can eat. Well, see, a prophet's spirit is subject. He doesn't just listen to anybody. He gets it directly back then. But he wanted to eat, so he ate. And the word came through the false or the misguided prophet. He said, because you disobeyed the Lord, when you leave, a lion's going to kill you. And it happened. See, because he was presumptuous. He acted on something that his spirit had not been enlightened on, and he fell for it. Uh, his appetite fell for it. So we don't know how long he went without eating, but he was told not to eat. And he was a prophet, and he should have known better, okay? So he was punished for that, okay? So whatever is not of faith is sin. This is a principle that Christians should use when dealing with things indifferent, things that in themselves are not wrong. The Christian was never told in the Old Covenant or the New to go into a temple of another god or goddess and give the truth to him. You don't find Paul ever going into a pagan temple. You don't go into bars and drink with people and then try to give the gospel to them. If you've been delivered because you were an alcoholic, you have no business there. That's one of your besetting sins you're going to have to watch. 
but you don't go in there and say, Lord, help me to resist. He's not going to help you because you're making provision for sin. You're entering into something that you were warned to flee from. Paul told Timothy and the younger Christians to flee from fornication. That he knew what the sexual desires could do at the wrong time. And you were not to sit there and argue and debate it. You were to get away from it. He warned them. He said, flee from it. Okay? Means run. So there's a time you don't reason with the devil. You turn your back and get away from him. Especially if it's something that you failed at before or have a tendency that it's your besetting sin. Okay? Now we're going to chapter 15. He's still continuing the same thought. A lot of times the chapters and verses are put in the wrong places. They were not in the original. Someone used to joke and said they were put there by a monk. He was on a donkey, and as he was translating scripture, every time the donkey tripped, he decided to put a chapter there and a verse. Well, in the original, there are no chapters and verses. So sometimes we'll see one split right in the middle of the subject which doesn't make no sense. But they're good for reference. That's one thing we can say. It's good to remain where certain places are, and that's fine in themselves, as long as people aren't telling you it was scripturally put there. Okay, chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. So he's talking about now the mature Christian. Put up with, bear with, don't condemn or judge or cause problems for the one who has a weak conscience or doesn't know these things. We are not to enjoy our liberty and disregard those having problems in their presence. But when you're not, you can enjoy your liberty, okay? And if the weaker brother follows you around and sees you do it, then he has a problem. Because he's disobeying the Lord. And Paul said, you don't judge your mature brother either. So he's already in problems himself. Okay. Verse 2. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for good to his edification. Okay. We are called in ministry, gifts, and services for the body of Christ, not for ourselves. Okay, so if you're mature and you have ministry, ministries from the novice and the babe, there are none. They ought to drink the milk of the word and grow and study. They have no valid ministry because they're not mature enough to discern good and evil. See, Hebrews says you have to have milk again because you can't discern good and evil. See, if you can discern good and evil, your conscience would be enlightened and wouldn't be weak. It's only the mature that their conscience can discern these things. So, again, there are no children's ministries. There are no novices and babes teaching. Paul said you don't put a novice in place of authority. He'll be lifted up because of pride. He'll think he's special. And he's not special in that context. If he's not grown on the milk of the word and matured, he has no business teaching anybody anything. He's a learner. He's to learn and drink the milk of the word and grow thereby. Okay. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. 
Well, I'll read them quickly because we don't have much time. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Speak forth the word of God. It wasn't just the thus saith the Lord. It was to preach, to teach, and exhort under inspiration. It was to reveal the mind of God. It was part of the fivefold uh, ministry. So he said it was the greatest of the gifts because it did these things. Okay. For he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Now he's saying there's a certain gift and he named it tongues. And he said, unless it's interpreted, it only helps the person who's speaking it. It edifies him. But he's saying in a church gathering, it's not to be used. See? Because the ministries are to edify the body of Christ, not yourself. But if you're filled with the Spirit and you quietly speak, he didn't have no problem. He said, speak to yourself. But you're not to address the assembly and interfere. But he says, you're speaking ministries, you're praying, you're giving praise and thanks is what it says. But the other is not edified. So it's not doing any other Christian any good. And in the gatherings, the main thing is to do Christians good. Your ministries are to edify others and not be basically on yourself. Okay, he uses a good example. So he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort. So these are gifts for others. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So he's making a distinction here. And he does say here, when people put it down, there's a place for tongues if there was a spiritual church, which are very few, but he's saying it's okay. And he tells you in what circumstances, but it's interesting what Paul says. I speak with tongues more than you all. Oh, and people that are against tongues, Paul said he had the burden of the whole church on him. All the churches. That was one of the burdens that he was put on him as an apostle, and he was graced for it. So he spent a lot of times interceding in tongues and praying. Uh And he said, more than you all. But he said, I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy, for he who prophesies is greater the gift than he who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets that the church may be edified. So he's saying, if you're giving thanks and praise, or you're interceding in tongues, and you want to do it publicly, or you feel led, then you better interpret it. Or you better know there's a person who's gifted that way, because it ain't going to help nobody else. So that's what he's saying. And like you say, he, he did say further down, I speak in tongues more than anybody. Okay, people should remember that when they criticize something they don't understand, okay? So the gifts and ministries are for others. So God prospers, if you want to use the word, it's been so misused. He gives them gifting, certain ministries for others, and giving is one of the motivational gifts. People have a a gift of it, and also God gives them more money and things to give with, But it's not to squander on luxury or materialistic pleasures for themselves. If it's a gift of God, it's not for you. See, that's where they misunderstand it. They think God's going to give them 
so they can live in luxury of their king's kid. They're under a spirit of covetousness. They're self-absorbed. They're misusing the gift of God. See, even Paul, which he never encouraged a Christian to be rich or seek riches, he said, you that are rich, be rich in good works. He said, lay up for you a eternal life. He was saying, if you have that gift and you're not using it right, you may not make it into the kingdom. You're a lousy steward. You're a selfish steward. You've not taken the talent properly and used it. And so we need to understand what he's talking about, okay? And now he goes in, verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, quoting the Old Testament. Christ did not come to a life of ease and his own profit and to make himself feel good. He lived and died for mankind, okay? That was his purpose, to please the Father. So he took on the life of a human at its basic. He trusts the Lord with food and drink. He even said, I don't have a place to lay my head. Even the foxes and birds have a place to live. I don't. So he did this, though, for us, okay? We'll see this one scripture. People don't remember it often, but they should. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he was God. He owned everything. He was one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. All things were created by him and for him. Okay? Then he took on human nature. He condescended. He said he was rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. It was through his sacrifices and his giving up and offering his body that we become rich. Paul said the Christians were poor, but they were rich in faith. Well, that doesn't suit well with the prosperity people. That didn't suit well with the Corinthian church. And they started to separate from those Christians who were Christian slaves or had no money, and they said, go in the corner and eat with your own kind. They wanted to share their luxury and their fine foods with the richer Christians. Well, God killed many of them and struck them with diseases, and they wasted away and suffered. And if they didn't repent, they went to hell. And the purpose was to drive them to repentance, that they would not be damned with the world. Hebrews says the chase of the Lord is not pleasant, but what is it meant to do? It's to punish and show you God's displeasure and where the sin leads and want you to stop it. And it said, and it's grievous. He said, but it bears the peaceful fruit of holiness, righteousness. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. If with what practical righteousness and goodness, then that person died in his sins if there was no true repentance. So that's what the Lord thought about the rich Corinthians who thought they were better. And yet the scripture says that most of the people God chose and gave the gospel with the poor. The gospel was preached to the poor. That's what John the Baptist was told. The everyday, the normal people. He did not go out of his way for the rich and the famous. 
Some of them were brought in, but Paul said, look at your Christian calling. Not many are called. Well, see, because they have to come a different way. They have to come down, and they're so high up in the world, they can't do that. But that's their choice. The rich young ruler couldn't do it. He couldn't give it up and follow the Lord. And the Lord offered him to become a disciple and follow him. But he couldn't do it. Okay? He loved his money too much. Okay? Verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, our teaching, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Who? We the church. We the body of Christ. We that have Christ in us, the true Christian, that's who it was written for too. So all of the old not only benefited those who lived in the lesser covenants, it was also for us. We got the benefit of the old bringing into the new. All, most of the New Testament, when it quotes Scripture, of course he's quoting the Old Testament because the Scriptures are still valid under certain conditions. They apply under certain conditions. And where they're not, we see its fulfillment in the new, that certain things aren't necessary. And he says, because Christ fulfilled them and abolished the rules and regulations, the eating and drinking. And that's what Paul was talking about to the Gentile Christian. Give these Jewish Christians time to catch on. We've been doing this for centuries. You can't just expect them to stop if they haven't been enlightened on it. Under the law, if you didn't keep certain rules and regulations, you would not make it. You would be cast out of the kingdom or put to death. You broke the Sabbath, a Jew, you could be put to death. You did certain things there was no repentance for. So they took these things seriously, which they should have taken serious. So whatever was written before Moses even, during the law, and the prophets, was for our instruction. Instruction is a form of teaching. Instruction, teaching, instruction, exhortation. These are all a a form of teaching. We are to be instructed. We are to be exhorted. We are to be taught. And they have different levels and different giftings for this. But all teaching has some instruction in it. Christians still apply the Old Testament scriptures and find their completeness in the New Covenant. So we learn from Job patience and perseverance and then God's blessing at the end of it. We are encouraged by the Psalms and the stories of the godly, how God delivered them out of it or in it and gave them hope and that they were a more privileged people we are now We're more privileged than the Jews were once privileged, but we're getting it all. So we say that all of that is useful and that we can learn from it. Corinthians said that when he gives us the illustration that the children of Israel failed and were not allowed in, he said they rebelled against God and they were cut off. And he said all those things were written for us that we would not learn evil things and be judged like they were. That's why they were written. Give you an example. If you're an idolater, well, this is what's going to happen to you. If you don't stay with the Lord, this is what's going to happen to you. 
Even the Lord said through the prophet, he said, he that disregards God or doesn't think of God, his soul will be turned into hell. Why? Because God has a right. He made everything and everything is obligated to him. And as the show forth the praises, why they were made. The birds sing because God made them to sing. Many other things, the flowers are beautiful. They were made that way. And the human was made in the image of God to worship God and have a relationship. And when he goes into sin and rebellion, he sides with the devil. And God said he'll be turned into hell. He makes it very plain what will happen to him. Okay. So now may the God, is Christ in us, who gives perseverance and encouragement, grant you to be of the same mind one with another, according to Christ. Okay, he's still saying to the weak and to the strong, be of the same mind. You can have fellowship and unity, yet you can disagree at certain things. You don't have to cause, but we are to disagree. I cannot have unity and fellowship with the false Christian, with the false church. There's no way in Scripture it tells me to do this. Actually, Paul quotes the old and said, come out from among them and be separate. And then he says, I will receive you. If you don't come out from among them, that's repentance, that he won't accept them. See, people forget that scripture. Uh You can't stay with the world and the world's way of living and think you can stay with Christ. It's not going to happen, okay? You're going to be deceived. So God gives strength for perseverance and comfort, encouragement for our pilgrimage and for our Warfare, okay? So Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, okay? He basically says, His divine power has given to us, that's the Christian, all things that pertain to this life and godliness. How to live a godly life and how to live in this world. He's given us all the promises and helps that we need having given exceedingly great and precious promises, and through these promises, you may partake of the divine nature. How do we do that? He's not talking about the future. He's talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul said, if Christ is not in you, all these scriptures don't apply to you. You must be in Christ, and Christ must be in you. There must be the union there, okay? And then we can use the promises that he gives us. Every spiritual blessing, okay? You can endure in this life and the lot that you have. Now, Jesus said what? He that overcomes to each one of the seven churches, he gives us power to overcome. We must overcome. We're not once saved, always saved. We have to be faithful to the end. We must live our pilgrimage That's our probation. We must fight the good fight of faith and win. And he said, what? And he that overcomes, he was the only one that got the things in heaven. So he gives us what we needed. So he says, be in unity with the true Christian. Stay in unity. Avoid fights and discords and petty issues, he's saying. And that was one of the reasons the Lord said among the Christians, Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. He was talking about petty stuff. He wasn't talking about major sins. 
if your brother does a sin, Jesus himself said, rebuke him. And if he asks forgiveness, forgive him. And if he don't, eventually you throw him out of church if he ain't going to live right like a Christian. He didn't put up with it. So that's why a lot of people harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. Some Christians done something to them, and they haven't rebuked them. Well, maybe he's so deceived, he don't know he did you any wrong. James says, in many things we offend. We offend people sometimes, and we don't know we've offended them. Because often they're so petty, they remember everything because they're so self-absorbed. They haven't grown up yet. They haven't become spiritual. They're still up and down and back and forth and all that kind of stuff. If people rebuked a Christian more, uh, they wouldn't have unforgiveness and bitterness, see? And God's going to judge them the same way, okay? So they have to be careful about this, okay? So it's you and I ought to have the mind of Christ. And so if the true Christian has the mind of Christ and you have the mind of Christ, you shouldn't be fighting in discord. You can disagree over certain issues, but not to lead you into sin, okay? For you and they have the mind of Christ and put it on. When Paul talks about putting on, putting on, you have to put on the character and the life of Christ. He dwells in you and he's the work out of you. And that's the fruit of the Spirit, with which Jesus said, if you don't bear, the Father will cut you off. You have to have my life through you to bear fruit. Otherwise, you won't. Okay, let's stop here. Lord, give us wisdom, give us understanding, and practical application of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.